This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, where we discuss developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. Today, we're diving into Germany's economic recovery from the pandemic and the business and banking outlook more broadly there. We're joined by Wolfgang Fink, Goldman Sachs CEO for Germany and Austria. Wolfgang, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jake. Thanks for having me. So could you give us a high-level summary of how the German economy has been hit and recovered from the start of the COVID-19 crisis through today? Yeah, I think, you know, Germany, as many other economies, were hit by what we now know is the deepest post-war recession that the country experienced amid the pandemic. The GDP fell by 11.5%, according to our numbers, in the first half of 2020. And large parts of the economy were locked down. That said, the contraction over here has been softer than in other industrial countries. And while the uncertainty around the outlook remains high, in essence, we have seen three phases of the crisis for many of the companies over here. Number one, the first phase, obviously, a standstill of economic processes in highly volatile markets and securing liquidity and balance sheet stability were top of priority. Many companies were taking up finances, bridge financing, similar. And today we are in a phase of balance sheet repairs. How can these holes in the balance sheet be plugged? And clearly what to do to adapt to the changing environment going forward and basically instilling resilience in those organizations amid the uncertainty prevailing. So what made the crisis a little different in Germany relative to its neighbors? In fact, the contraction in Germany was softer than compared with other countries. And I'd say, uh, first of all, Germany has contained the pandemic outbreak relatively well. This is both because there is a more favorable starting position compared to some of its peers and the effective health policy response that we had here from the authorities, including the handling of renewed local outbreaks. Second, the economy itself is characterized by a high share of manufacturing and conversely by a relatively lower share of sectors that were most affected by the pandemic, and that would be tourism and other service industries. And thirdly, the German fiscal policy has responded forcefully to the crisis with a mix of debt guarantees, bridging measures, short-term work schemes, freeze on insolvency rules, and the whole stimulus of about 3.5% of GDP this year and added with a safety net for corporate borrowings and recapitalization funds in excess of 30% of GDP. So this massive fiscal response is not only unprecedented by historical standards, but also very large in the European context, despite the fact that Germany was hit smaller than other of its neighbors here. So Wolfgang, the EU passed a historic coronavirus stimulus package over the summer. It was really the first time they'd taken collective action in this space. Some German policymakers in the past have resisted European-wide stimulus, but this was a big moment for Europe acting together on the fiscal side. How's this stimulus package been received by Germany and German policymakers? And what's the consensus? Has it been effective or was it not enough? As you say, the EU has come through with, with a landmark COVID-19 recovery package. The EU recovery and the measures to achieve the recovery were and are top of mind for the German government and for many of its agencies, especially also as Germany holds the presidency of the EU currently. And I think that overall, the need to act together in these tough times of the crisis have been widely recognized over here. The size of the package was obviously a big surprise for some observers, surprise to the upside, I'd call it. And in terms of the disbursements of those funds, this is work in progress now, how to allocate 
these streams that are attached to the disbursements all over Europe. And I think it's a debate how that is being made that is very actively watched over here in Germany. So we have to see. But in general, this is a very positive thing that Europe came together. And I think there's a sense about that overall, that we stood together in crisis. And it's a moment to push forward the European project in these challenging times. So you mentioned Germany's holding the presidency of the Council of the EU, and the motto is Together for Europe's Recovery. The government in Germany has put the focus of its presidency on overcoming COVID-19 pandemic, obviously, and particularly focused on how to make the recovery more sustainable. So what is Germany looking to achieve? How do they think Europe can best recover together from this crisis? Yeah, I think apart from putting together during the pandemic, and basically coming through with what we just talked about, the landmark recovery package, Europe has also continued to work on an ambitious roadmap for the future, which is the world leading Green Deal and I guess a comprehensive digital strategy. Both of them are remarkable projects. And in terms of the Green Deal, this would put the continent at the forefront of the global climate fight. The European Green Deal has transformed from a long dated climate plan to, in fact, the largest economic stimulus and reorientation program Europe has seen since the Marshall Plan. And I think the plan could achieve simultaneous goals, among which, number one, clearly would be boosting short-term wealth, both on the GDP and employment level, thanks to a major investment wave in power, infrastructure, buildings, renovation, automotive and industrials. Second, to also protect the long-term wealth of the continent by fighting climate change and reaching net zero emissions by 2050. And strategically important, number three, improve Europe's energy self-sufficiency by shifting away from hydrocarbons towards domestically sourced electricity. And this plan, which we conservatively estimate at 7 trillion euros, could imply a major GDP and employment boost. And we think it could lead to a 100% plus acceleration in clean infrastructure investments by European utilities, for example. Second point, the European Commission Digital Finance Strategy is an important initiative as well, which can deliver innovation, security and resilience and put Europe on a strong competitive footing in this respect. And clearly, all these things, economic recovery, built digitalization initiatives, decarbonization, all of them need financing. And the financing needs of Europe have never been so significant as a result. And clearly, part of that financing will have to come from the capital markets and the banking sector will have to scale up in this. And that means banking union, which has to create conditions for a stronger, more efficient sector, able to support what I just mentioned, and clearly also capital markets union to make these capital markets fit for purpose in this respect. Okay, and you mentioned that basically that the German economy has proven pretty resilient through the crisis. Obviously, it got hit, but not as hard as most of the rest of Europe. Within the economy, what types of sectors are recovering fastest and which ones are having a harder time getting back to pre-pandemic levels of activity? Yeah, we have here a substantial amount of industrials and chemical companies in Germany, which obviously have a strong exposure to global growth and to the manufacturing cycle. The DAX, the German benchmark index, generates more than 80% of its revenues outside Germany, of which more than half is outside Europe. So even though we are noting a slowdown in the pace of the global recovery, our analysts here have been very constructive on the European economy and upbeat on the global economic growth. All of these companies have gone and are going through soft patches, but they are clearly helped by the degree of internationalization. They see recovery in Asia, 
as they see it in Europe and the US. It's modest, but it's happening. And we've already seen that in the recent months. The more tech-focused part of the landscape here also benefited from the acceleration the pandemic brought to the digital business models. I already mentioned that it's a process where engaging in commerce through digital channels, particularly on the consumer side, but also on the business side, was a major driver for many of the revenues of those companies. And clearly, the companies in the services sector, companies in tourism, retailers, and in particular, those that are still operating with more traditional business models and companies in the hospitality industry are facing very tough times as they do elsewhere. So it's like a bifurcation brought onto these businesses by the corona crisis. We, apart from the crisis-led changes, also see structural changes, such in the German auto industry. The auto industry was already experiencing a structural shift due to the electrification, the whole question of digitalization and the question of new business models in the sector. And due to the pandemic and the overall slowdown in general demand, all these trends have been accelerated, highlighting the structural changes that these sectors and this auto sector in particular is facing. So Wolfgang, talk a little bit about, obviously you serve in the business, all sectors of the economy. Talk a little bit about the banking landscape, particularly financing and how it's evolved over the course of the pandemic. As on the global stage, we have witnessed here an unprecedented economic shock smoothened by the central bank support, but also by the relatively healthy balance sheet of the banks and remarkably resilient capital markets. In the first half of the year, we saw record volumes on the debt and equity markets here in Europe, and particular in the investment grade markets. We saw the supply in the euro area up 35% relative to the year before. We also saw record equity volumes. And 2020 is already the third strongest year so far in capital increases and in similar placements with resilient activity over here. Therefore, companies can avail and could avail themselves of a lot of new opportunities. The banks themselves have been also strong and were called upon in crisis. So far, they have weathered the storm pretty well. We clearly see more activity, especially when we're talking about what I call the phase of balance sheet repair where we see a lot of companies trying to tap the markets with sensible businesses and growth models, as well as sound leverage, and that will make accomplishing these goals easier. There's a good amount of activity, and so we are still in a very, very busy year over here. So financing sounds like it'll stay busy. How about M&A? Has that started to pick up a little bit? Are are companies that are stronger looking at some of the opportunities out there on the landscape? Yeah, we are seeing M&A volumes picking up also in a global context. Companies are increasingly looking to pursue large and strategic transactions. And as I mentioned before, COVID-19 has again accelerated various transformations in many industries. And there's clearly a gap between those well-positioned, strong companies that are able to pursue opportunities in this environment and weaker companies that have to fight and focus on dealing with the consequences of the COVID-19 crisis. We're seeing a more restructuring in more mature businesses as they will have to create scope, not just in their balance sheets, but also strategically as they are hit with a slowdown in their more established businesses. And the more important topic for the more forward-leaning companies is to make their existing businesses not only more digital and acquire competencies like software and digital content, and therefore they could then transform their business models, but also to become more sustainable. And some of their current inputs and outputs are not fit for purpose in light of a more sustainable economy and a drive to more sustainability. This is not only expressed in ESG criteria and similar metrics that make it clear where companies stand, 
but also by the record speed in which many of them have shifted to a more digital economy. The companies' P&Ls and balance sheets make these shifts very visible day by day or week by week. Hence, uh, there's a certain urgency to make these changes. And we're obviously starting over here from traditional German sectors like industry, chemicals and automotive. But there's still a huge P2P digital challenge, which is core to our economy. And this is being addressed as we speak, both inorganically through investments, but also through M&A and takeovers that add to the activity over here. So after several good decades of global growth and globalization, we've seen a bit of a pullback. Global trade has been stagnant in recent years, and there have been a number of trends that have sort of have people talking about peak globalization and global supply chains have sort of been thrown out of whack by COVID. Where does that leave Europe, particularly Germany, which is a big export economy and has extensive economic connections all around the world? Yeah, I think we've seen three or four trends that impact value chains that in particular this economy here is so dependent on that have impacted those value chains globally. First of all, the breaking apart of trade relationships, most prominently evidenced by the UK-EU Brexit and its consequences. Uh, Secondly, the geopolitical frictions, such as the US-China trade conflict and the increased protectionism in large flocks. And then, in general, an increased frequency and increased magnitude of shocks to the system. And then lastly, the ESG focus that we have been talking about, which is limiting manufacturers' ability to find places where economic and environmental costs in particular are low. So COVID-19, as in many other cases, has put a spotlight on these developments. But the more fundamental issues are running deeper and have been persistent and have been persisting for a longer time. So I would consider these shifts triggering a reorganization of globalization, something that WTO has referred to as re-globalization. And this reorganization will entail shifts in overall trade volumes, a diversification of supply chains into home markets and into new markets, higher levels of automation to balance operational resilience on the one hand with the cost efficiency on the other, and clearly also more digital cross-border trade. And in order to maintain their competitive positions, the EU and Germany need the respective industrial policies that focus on the innovation, on the intelligent regulation, on social partnerships, infrastructure, and more importantly, on free trade as a background to weather those challenges. So Wolfgang, it's nice to step back from US politics because that's all anyone talks about here these days as we're taping. So we're not going to get into politics, but talk a little bit about what German business leaders think about the U.S.-German trade relationship. There's obviously been a lot of friction over the past several years. And how are they thinking about that and thinking about it in the future? Yeah, clearly businesses over here have gotten used to a more volatile relationship between the EU or Germany and the U.S. And in a way, that clearly has been one of the key concerns of business leaders over here as they navigate their businesses through those frictions month by month and quarter by quarter. But one shouldn't forget that apart from the pure export-related relationships, these companies have massive investments in the U.S. and they're also massive employers there. And they have lots of relationships that are not only on a federal, but also on a state level where those investments are usually happening. So these long established relationships and hence the guidance that they receive through them have worked well for them through the years and also including the more volatile periods that they have experienced recently. Looking forward, 
what the German industry hopes to see is clearly a more stable, less volatile business relationship that allows them to continue to forward with their investments and to furthering those relationships and their respective businesses. Because the U.S. is the most important trading partner and clearly investments that are being made there and the investments that are envisaged to be made there are massive. And a stable relationship with the U.S. is key to the well-being of the German industry and the German economy as a whole. Well, Wolfgang, we could all use a little stability. Hopefully we'll get some soon. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks a lot for having me. That concludes this episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, we hope you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a comment. Please tune in later in the week for our weekly markets update when leaders around the firm provide a quick take on the latest in markets. This podcast was recorded on Thursday, November 5th, 2020. Thanks very much. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.